This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. I'm your host, Laura Alexander-Wittig, CEO and founder of Brightly, the number one destination for conscious consumers around the world. At Good Together, we value the planet over perfection and believe that you can make positive things happen for the planet every day by being a conscious consumer and an informed citizen. Listen in as I chat with various experts about living and consuming responsibly. living should be easy, but oftentimes it doesn't quite feel like that. Brightly believes that small, planet-focused lifestyle swaps can help us all fight back against climate change every single day. Part of being a conscious consumer means that when it's time to buy a new item, considering a product that is eco-friendlier than the alternative can actually make a difference. Brightly's shop focuses on easy, effective eco-products designed to help you reduce waste and make smart, planet-focused decisions around your house every day, whether it's stopping food waste with our Veggie Saver bag or eliminating single-use plastic wrap with our bowl covers. Pick from dozens of our favorite eco-swaps that have been thoroughly vetted and tested by our team, including yours truly, who has just done so much testing. <laughs> so head to brightly.eco slash shop and use code GOODTOGETHER to receive 20% off your first order with us. Hey, Good Together listeners. I am so excited because today I have a return guest to the podcast because <laughs> one of the funny things that we always say when I'm recording with people is like, I wish we could talk about this again. And so I was so happy when the team was like, why don't you bring Farmer Nick back? Like you guys had such a good conversation. And I was like, yes, we had such a good time. So welcome back to the podcast, Nick. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. I, I a repeat. This is awesome. I'm blooming again. This there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and um, folks, for those of you who have not heard the past episode, um, you know, Nick Katsampas is the plant coach and urban gardener behind Farmer Nick. Um, and he loves to share just all of the things related to planet friendly ways to care for, you know, your plant babies and your garden. Um, but Nick, I wonder if you can just do just a really brief overview of yourself so you know some of these new folks can get to know you. Thank you so much. I, I am so delighted to be back and basically just preaching the green gospel. You know, anything <laughs> that is green, I am super excited about it because it's my mission not just to make the world greener than when we found it, but just give people the knowledge and confidence they need to create their own green spaces in the pursuit of environmental action. Because at the end of the day, we want to care about our plants, but we don't want to do it at the expense of our planet. And there are so many things we can do with our plants that will enable the planet to be healthier from soil health to uh, carbon sequestration. There is so much we can do. And I got my start just growing food in my parents' backyard after college, just as a little hobby. And it turned into a full-on career. So I've seen firsthand how it can change my life, how it can change others around me and also benefit the planet in the process. Yeah, I love this. I mean, for for a lot of people, the individual piece of, you know, reducing climate change can be really overwhelming and they don't really know where to get start. But, you know, a lot of people now have plants. Um, they, you know, I feel like we're kind of seeing a resurgence of people 
um, who are taking care of houseplants and really even people who are experimenting with gardening. Um, you know, I think growing up, like, you know, I remember thinking gardening was like a thing for moms and grandmas and things like that. And it was mostly <laughs> for just like pretty flowers, you know, like not as much, yeah. maybe some tomatoes, you know, if you're lucky, but not really as much for food or really for, for, um, reasons other than aesthetics. Right. And so I'm really excited about the movement that we're seeing with, you know, with younger folks who are just really getting into, um, into the, the hobby as it will. But I mean, it doesn't have to be called a hobby. It's a career. Like, like you said, <laughs> yes, I'm a, uh, I'm a plantrepreneur now. That's all there you go. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Well, so, so one question I had for you. Um, so, so listeners, we, um, we really just uh, went through so many fun things on our last episode. So we're going to kind of get into a few other, you know, areas that we wanted to dig deeper into, pun intended, um, <laughs> dig deeper into the compost, right? Um, but, yeah. you know, speaking about compost, I mean, I'm really curious because this is something that happens to me and happens to everybody. Like sometimes, even though we have the best intentions, our plants die or they get really droopy or, you know, like yeah. how do we as plant parents you know, think about our waste and, and maybe even think about ways to, to potentially revive those plants, like even if they seem like they're goners, right? Absolutely, Laura. And and just first of all, there's no judgment here. If anyone <laughs> has killed the plant, I've killed many plants. I still do now and then uh, for different reasons, <laughs> right? But yeah. I, I think the biggest thing when it comes to taking care of plants, viewing it through a, a eco-focused lens starts before you even buy that plant. And what I mean by that is we need to do a really good job of just assessing everything in our ecosystem from the people in our ecosystem to the heating, the lighting, the humidity, all these different factors that can play a role because picking the right plant for the right space will prevent your plants from needing to be revived in the first place, yes. right? Yes. Don't, don't look, get those HGTV goggles and start you know, focusing on that fiddle leaf fig if you don't have the right conditions for that plant. That yes. requires a lot of just self-honesty, right? You got to be really honest about what your space can handle and what your also your routine can handle. I know with my travel schedule, it's very hard for certain plants to thrive under my care. So I've kind of cut those out of my life in many ways. So that is the key, picking the right plant. Now, just because we pick the right plant doesn't mean it's going to survive and succeed the way we want it to. Yeah. So for me, it's all about being proactive. And you could make the case that for, for any of these forms of, of gardening, houseplants, landscaping, what have you, being proactive is all about catching things before they become problems and just checking with your plants. Every day I wake up, I see my plants, hey, how are we doing? Give positive words of encouragement, whatever it is, but I'm always <laughs> looking for something that might be off. Yeah. Because the last thing you want to do is check in once a week when you're watering and be like, oh my God, I've got an infestation. So getting ahead of it and just being more proactive about catching those little, whether they're infestations or fungal infections, what have you, will just help you better understand how your plant grows and you won't be forced to you know, give up on a plant down the line that you may have neglected in the past. Absolutely. And I, I, you're, you're totally right. I mean, I think folks who are new and who, who maybe just haven't had as much experience caring for plants, it can be really tempting to just be like, oh man, this is a goner. You know what I mean? There's nothing I can do about it. But <laughs> yeah. I actually have like a good personal anecdote that happened to me, I guess, two or three weeks ago. So, um, we have at my house, a lot of, um, I forget the full name of them, but they're pilea plants. Um, mm, what are they called? Yes. Chinese? Uh, well, they're called lucky plants, money plants, Chinese yes, money plants. Yes. That's a mm -hmm. problematic name for back in the day, but some people know them that way. And, um, 
So we have a lot of those at my home and one of them, I, I looked at it and it just looked like it was so gone. And I, I looked over and I thought, well, why is that the case? And so I pulled it out of the container that it was in and there was just, my gosh, there was like a full six inches of water. I mean, it was just awful. Oh my goodness. And yep. I am not the one who overwatered it. I'll tell you that right now. Like, I, it was not me. <laughs> hey, we're not here to assign blame. We're not it here to assign blame. It was not me because I, you know, I was like, maybe our, our, my husband did it or, you know, maybe our um, housekeeper. Anyway, I was like, somebody has given this plant too much water. And so what I did was I pulled it out um, and I actually set, so it still was in a little container and I put it on um, some paper towels to just try and drain as much moisture as I could out of it. Cause I was like, you know, that's just going to be rotted, right? Like all of the roots and everything are just going to be so susceptible to rot cause it was drowning. So I was like, let's give this guy some air. So I, I just dried it out as much as I possibly could. And then I kind of left it alone and sure enough, it's perked right back up. But before I totally would have been like, this is too much. It's, it's far, it's too gone. You know, it's a goner. Yep. yep. <laughs> Now, there are two kinds of people, right? There are the folks that'll see a plant that lost all its leaves and say, I can save you. And then the others that the first sign that there's a yellow leaf, they say, oh, woe is me. This plant is gone. Yeah. Time to chuck it. So yeah. I want to be somewhere in the middle, right? I don't want to have a, a plant hospice care in my home by any means. But you're absolutely right. I, I think just being able to, to, you recognize something was off. And you wouldn't have recognized that if you weren't paying attention and being yep. an active observer yep. in your ecosystem. And I think that's key because we actually suffer as a human species from this phenomenon of plant blindness, something <laughs> I talk a lot in my book. It's a real term, which is basically where we are less likely to recognize, identify with, and have compassion for non-animal species. Really? Like you, could walk, you could walk on your normal commute. And you might not ever recognize the plants in your environment and the number of trees that you walk by and the mm -hmm. bushes and the flowers and shrubs. And that is something that is more evolutionarily speaking, right? We want to relate to things that look like us. Yeah. That's why you see the, the ads for saving the rainforest and they're not talking about the plants, they're not showing the plants there. They're showing the chimpanzees mm -hmm. or the things that look and we can you know get empathy with or from, right? So that's a major thing. And, you know, I, I dealt with this in, in a major way uh, when we were shooting uh, the Netflix show Instant Dream Home because we had a, a really cool hydroponic setup and we were going to bring it over to the site. And all of a sudden I get there and the whole thing is completely wilted. There's 200 people around. No one plugged it in. They didn't realize it needed water, but no one said anything because they just, they just don't see it. They just didn't even look at it. it. They didn't care. They didn't even look at it, right? And my mm. only job is to look at the plant. So yeah. obviously it was a problem we had to fix. But that idea of plant blindness and just not being aware of the amazing greenery around us is something that many of us suffer, especially in urban areas. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's it's not a term I've heard of before you just mentioned it, but it makes total sense. Um, and actually, we when um, Apple released this update um, on the um, iPhone operating system where you there's a feature where you can actually identify plants that you've taken pictures of. I'm sure you're very familiar with this. Very um, familiar. <laughs> but when this launched, my husband and I were like, we just thought it was like the coolest thing ever. So we were just like going around the neighborhood, taking pictures of all these different plants and just like really, you're right, paying more attention to them. 
And once you kind of cultivate this, at least just general knowledge or understanding of what's around you, you kind of notice things. So for instance, there was a new home that was going up, um, you know, a few houses down from us and, you know, they spent a ton of money on it, like super expensive build. But what they ended up doing was I'm sure they paid thousands and thousands of dollars for this huge, beautiful tree that they literally planted, right? Like it was already there. It looked like they just ripped it out of somebody else's yard and, and dropped it there. But the thing, the reason why I'm telling the story is because we were like, that tree is planted way too close to that house. Like whoever planted this tree did not know squat because that tree is going to, you know, it's not going to thrive there. Mm-hmm. It's going to there. So my husband, <laughs> the next time we saw the new owners out, my husband was like, Hey, like, I just want to let you know, cause we've had problems with trees um, in, in homes that we've had before that were just growing too close to the property, um, you know, before we got there. And so it does become a problem to the tree, of course, but then also to, you know, your, the side of your home or your fence or whatever. So we like literally were like, did you know that this is probably too close to your house? And perhaps because they just planted it, maybe there's a situation where you can move it. You know what I mean? But it was just like, we wouldn't have noticed unless we paid attention. So I love this thought process around plant blindness. How interesting. Um, Nick, I was going to ask you to a little bit about your Netflix show, because I mean, that's exciting. And I think um, listeners, if you're not familiar, it's called instant dream home. And Nick is the plant guru on the, on the show. I I was going to ask you, I mean, I'm sure it's been a lot of fun to film and all of that, but I'm curious to know, like, as you're going about um, and interacting with some of the folks that you've had the chance to do these home makeovers with, like, are there any kind of like interesting stories or maybe um, like anecdotes where you've done a myth busting for people and their minds were blown about caring for a yard. I feel like most people are probably coming Mm. to you and are like, Oh my God, please don't give me too many plants to take care of. Right. Like, I feel like that (laughs) is that what they're telling you? (laughs) Usually. Yes. Yes. Right. And and for those that aren't familiar, uh, instant dream home show on Netflix, where we renovate the homes of deserving families in one day. Literally one day. Now it it takes three months of preparation and going through all the logistics to actually plan for it. But we do it in one day and it is insane. There are 215 people on a job site and it gets intense, especially with the plants, because when you're doing the landscaping, the exterior of those projects, not only do you have to contend with everyone coming inside out of the house at all times, but you need to keep the stuff alive on a 98 degree day in Georgia. Like yeah. it is very challenging. And, you know, I, I joke with Adair, who's the interior designer on the show and one of my good buddies that, you know, he puts a couch in the living room. He doesn't need to worry about keeping it alive. <laughs> like no matter, no matter what happens, that couch is going to look the same. Yeah. Whereas, you know, for some of these families, it can be a lot, especially when they're going from virtually no landscaping to a full on yard. Yeah. I think it can be a challenge. So one thing that we did, and you don't see this in the show, but every family gets a packet and it is hundreds of pages long with here's how your appliances work. Here's how this works. Here's how you do this. And there is an extensive portion on every specific plant that's in your space, how to take care of it and what we did to make sure that it's set up for success. And that is key, right? Because what we don't want to have happen is you build these beautiful landscapes and these gardens and green walls and for them not to be sustainable. Now, obviously it's on the, yeah, it's It's on the client at the end of the day, but it's important. Yeah. I mean, it's such a good idea. And the other thing I was going to mention is I always wondered, and I mean, cause I'm sure you're probably one of the first 
uh, shows to do this, right? Like I am sure that 90% of these other home makeover shows, they kind of drop something and then just peace out, right? Because it's easier. So I love to hear that there's like a manual, <laughs> to, yeah. a manual that you're leaving behind so that people don't, well, I'm sure, do you ever get some weird like DMs? Like, Nick, help me, you know? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm in touch with some of the families and they send me pictures of the plants. Good, like, hey, how do good. I do this? What do I do with that? But it's interesting you mentioned some of these other shows because they don't get a packet because they don't often get to keep the things in their home, oh. which is pretty wild. So our show is very different than that. Yeah. And I, I still get lots of plant questions from the different families. <laughs> well, good. As long as, I mean, I know you love to answer those questions anyway, yeah. so, so that's good. But I, I love that. Um, And so, yeah, I'm just trying to think through, I mean, obviously, um, you know, when people are, you know, out trying to redo their landscaping and, and um, you know, getting into their their natural environment environment around them, I feel like, and I, I actually think I saw this in one of the episodes, like thinking about teaching people how to collect rainwater. Um, and, mm. you know, it's, you know, at the time this recording, it's February, it's still pretty cold and gloomy most places, but we are gearing up for spring and spring needs lots of rain. So I'm curious to know, like, um, you know, what do you think about collecting rainwater? Like, I feel like sometimes people think it's like illegal or like a weird thing to do. Like, yes, what yes. is, what do you do when, when people are asking you about this? So rain has become my favorite topic Ooh, since moving okay. to Los Angeles because <laughs> I came from New York where it rained all the time. Yes. Spring, summer, fall, winter, like it was rainy. And now you move to an environment like Los Angeles, which has a rainy season and is in a perpetual drought that despite all of the rain that you've probably seen in the news, we are still in a severe drought here in Los Angeles because we are unable as a city to collect rainwater efficiently. Yeah. And there's so many different ways to collect or even just divert rainwater. The problem is, is when you have cities that are not built from an urban planning standpoint to do that, you have 24 trillion gallons of water being washed away on city streets made of cement and they're carrying dirt and plastic pollution. And where does it go? Right to the ocean. So there are so many things we can do both as an individual and as a, as a collective community to, to better focus on some of these things. Number one, at, a, at the most basic level, throw out a bucket, right? Yeah. Take a bucket, throw them out there. I use rain barrels. And I actually, it's kind of funny. I rerouted the gutter system on the house that I rent. And I made a video about having these rain barrels here that I got off Craigslist and I rerouted the gutter system and I filled it up and basically said, Hey, everyone, by the way, like you might think it's illegal to collect rainwater. It is not illegal in any of the 50 States. Now here's how I did it. And it actually went viral because so many people were very, very interested in how to do this, yeah. including my landlord who said, Hey, did you reroute the gutter system <laughs> off my house? And I said, yes, I did, but I swear it will in improve your property value. So he was okay with it. Oh my God. But that is so funny. <laughs> the, the, the crazy thing is though, is I have these, I collect a hundred gallons of water. That seems like a lot, but it fills up in five minutes in a storm. What? And when you think about that scale, if every home had two rain barrels, every home, what would that mean for making a dent in some of these rain problems that we have. Now that's at the individual level, right? Sure. Yeah. At the at the community level, at the urban planning level, how can we better design our landscapes to capture yes. water in different ways, whether it's swales or uh, green roofing infrastructure 
things like that, that will, instead of it just hitting, you know, cement or concrete, whatever it is, you're actually able to divert that water somewhere, either you're using it for yourself or using it for plant life. I think it's, it's so important for the city to make some of those changes, but it's very hard when you have environments like LA and New York that are already so built up that it's, it's difficult to make those construction changes at a, at a quick scale. If you've been dreaming about getting a good night's sleep, I have the solution for you. I've actually been using Etitude's clean bamboo sheets for years. They're smooth as silk, more breathable than cotton, and they're hypoallergenic. Plus, they're sustainable. Etitude sheets are free from harmful chemicals and use 99% less water than cotton. Etitude also donates a portion of every purchase to 1% for the planet, a network of environmental partners working to solve the planet's problems. Right now, Etitude is offering Brightly listeners $25 off their first bedding order of $150 for a limited time. Save on your first order by visiting ettitude.com slash brightly and use the code brightly to start sleeping more sustainably. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's it's just so interesting to think about, you know, well, we talked about the individual scale. And so, you know, let's say we're talking about, you know, 200 gallons of water. I, I imagine that's going to go quite a long way for watering plants outside, right? And, I, and I'm, I'm curious to know, like, why would, why did people think it was illegal? Is it just because, uh, you know, maybe back in the day, people wanted to make sure that that water was only being used for sort of like non-potable reasons? Like, I'm curious, is that kind of what it was? I, I wish it was like that. I think it was honestly governments wanting you to use their water. Oh my and, God. you know, that, that mindset kind of stuck around and people were still commenting on the post saying, oh, it's illegal, it's illegal. No, it's not. Yeah. And some of these states have changed relatively recently within the last 15 years or so. But for many, it is perfectly legal. And in areas like, you know, New York or Georgia, where we film, like we don't need to, to capture the rainwater in the same yeah. way it rains yeah. so, so, so much. But if you're out West, if you're in areas like Arizona, Nevada, Southern California, I think it, it's, it should be our, our duty to yeah. collect rainwater in this way, whether we're watering our outdoor gardens with it or our houseplants. I use it mainly for my houseplants um, because they love it. And, yeah. and it's it's a more nutrient dense water than the tap. So I think whatever way you're using it, it's a good thing. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I mean, the other thing too is oftentimes people in these locations, like we hope that they have like rain smart gardens, but most people don't. So it's almost like, okay, you want a non rain smart garden? You got to collect the water for it or whatever. <laughs> yeah, don't get me good... started on lawns. Oh my God. <laughs> Turf grass and lawns. They are the bane of my existence. Oh gosh. I know it, it's rough. You know, I, I think it's rough for people who like don't really know that much about landscaping. And to be completely honest, like I think it's pretty difficult for anybody to learn about landscaping unless they, mm -hmm. they dedicate a lot of time and energy to it. Right. Like I feel like most people just kind of do what is happening elsewhere in the neighborhood, which, you know, probably wasn't really thought of in a strategic way. Right. So I think that there is such a problem of people who it looks nice, let's do it. Or, Oh, the neighbor's doing that. Let's do it. And they're not really thinking about, landscaping with the environment in mind. Um, and I know that obviously you're not a huge fan of, of, of grass and turf grass and stuff, but like, 
here's like a real problem. Like we, in my house, we have three large dogs and I actually, we can't even keep grass on the, on the lawn because they rip it <laughs> yeah. up. And so like, even with that problem aside, like what do you tell people if they don't want to look at like this, like muddy pit <laughs> that yeah, we have, it, right? Like what, what can we do about it? So the, the benefit of this changing climate in a way is that it's forcing people to think differently about their landscapes and their lawns and how they can create an ecosystem versus a monocrop turf grass that was never meant to survive there. And states like California have rebate programs where you can get paid to remove your lawn. You can get paid even more to plant native plants in your yard. And I get lots of questions from folks about, you know, I have kids and I've got dogs and I want to keep my lawn. That's totally fine. But you don't have to have the same size lawn, or maybe you keep grass in your backyard, but not your front yard. Because I don't know about you, but I don't see many people hanging out in their front yards anymore, right? Like yeah. this, this lawn concept developed from like, you know, 1800s, 1900s pastoral European artwork of these beautiful green landscapes and what have you. And we brought that here and it became a status symbol. And now we're, we're paying the price. Grass is the largest monocropped crop that we have in the United States, and it sucks up water like none other. So if you want to have grass, look at your area's native grass options. Some of them are going to be larger than others. Some of them are going to be shorter. Some can be mowed. Some will flower. You can look at alternative cover cropping or not cover cropping, but ground cover such as clover or carapia which is very popular, all very drought tolerant and they flower. So they're beneficial to the insects and the the pollinators in our area. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of that clover too, just like jumping in here because we were looking yeah. at this, there's stuff called micro clover where it like literally can look like grass, like from far away. Like, it, exactly. you know what I mean? It doesn't even have to look, I think a lot of times people are maybe conjuring up images as you're speaking of like this, like wild abandoned kind of thing and they're like maybe they yes. don't want their 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 yard they maybe they want their yard to look a little bit more polished well hey i mean there are solutions like this and actually because we were looking into it for dealing with like really big paws like we have to deal with like there are things that are very durable and able to be walked on which is cool exactly right you you've got the perfect mindset because if you can get it to look and emulate the feel of grass the walkability of grass but it's not then you've won because yeah. you've created an environment where your pets are happy, your kids are happy, you're happy. It looks clean. That's the key. You got to make it look good. Yep. And when you're dealing with some of these folks, especially some of my clients, right? You're dealing with people in Beverly Hills and West Hollywood have got tons and tons of money and the status and the look is mm. all so important to them. Yep. How can I, as an eco-conscious landscape designer, tell them and convince them that, hey, this is the new thing. Yeah. This is the thing that's going to get your neighbor asking you questions about how come your yard looks so good, right? Interesting. Yeah. No, I, I it, love this. It's such a good idea. That's the key. And, and I think for some folks, let's say you don't have uh, dogs or you don't have anyone who's going to be using that front yard. Don't be afraid to, to get a little crazy with it, right? You can grow vegetables and do a front yard raised bed garden. You can plant a native wildflower garden. You can do so many different things that break out of this just lawn stereotype because who wants to have the same looking house and landscaping as everybody else, right? You want to establish your individuality in that design. 
Absolutely. And you know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because we, so when we um, moved into our home here in Seattle, the previous owner had this just massive thing of bamboo in the front and it was awful. Oof. I mean, it was so expensive. First of all, listeners, please. And do so not, invasive. So invasive. Do not plant bamboo. Whatever you do, don't ever do it. It's so invasive and it spreads so quickly and it's almost impossible to get rid of. Like we literally had, my husband went out there chopped as much of it as he could. And then he started digging because they have really, really deep roots. Um, and it was so bad that we literally had to hire somebody to come out with like a power, you know, giant power tool that he's riding on to dig out, you know, yep. the yard. It was awful. Um, so by the time we got rid of all that stuff, it was, it was so massive that it literally was masking the front of the house. And so now that that was done, you could see the house. It looked really nice, but then we were kind of left going, well, what the heck are we going to do? And yeah, I mean, I didn't want to have just like a straight, you know, boring grass lawn. I mean, in addition to just being, you know, not great for the environment and boring to look at, they're actually kind of hard to keep up folks. Like you have to be weed eating, which that there's a whole nother, you know, podcast we could talk about problematic things doing to get rid of weeds. <laughs> but you know, yeah. if you want it to look nice, there's actually a lot of upkeep required. And we have a toddler and three dogs. Like we don't have time for that, right? And so we started thinking through what, what are some kind of low lift ways that we can turn this front yard into something that's unique. And actually, one of our good friends is um, going back to school um, kind of later in life because he's interested in, in landscaping. And so he oh, wow. came over and gave us a plan, and we ended up doing um, kind of a path through like he, he gave us different zones that we did with, with different plants that were native. Um, and then we kind of created like a little path and is anyone going to actually walk on that path and do that? Probably not. Cause it's the front lawn, like we were talking about, but I mean, it looks cool. Right. And it's not, well, if you invite me over, I'll walk the path. There you go. Me. There you can walk yeah. the path. Why, why not? But you know, it's, it's kind of one of those decorative things, but we put a fountain out there and it's just like one of those things like, Growing up in Texas, people just didn't do that. Like they, they just had those like flat, boring things. Maybe you had a tree if you were lucky, but we really enjoyed like rethinking that front yard because you're right. People probably aren't going to be spending a lot of time out in that front yard, but at least you can, um, you know, figure out ways to make it work for you and your, your, your lifestyle, but also for the planet. I think it's just such an interesting thing to think about. Absolutely. You're doing yeah. it right. I yeah, love there it. we go. <laughs> we're, we're trying, we're trying. Um, so <laughs> I'm curious to know too, for people, um, since we kind of turned this into a little bit more of a landscaping related episode, which is great. Cause I think that there's just such an opportunity, Nick, you and I need to talk offline about this. We got to do lots more <laughs> landscaping content, but I mean, I think, you know, for people that are new, cause for us, the problem, and we were so glad that our friend was going back to school. Like it, it was just so overwhelming. I was just like, what do I get? You know, I go online and I felt like there was, there were recommendations, but they weren't actually for my region. And so, you know, what are tips that you have for people who are like, look, okay, I've heard the podcast. I want to rethink what's going on in my front yard. Like, where do I get started? Like, it just seems kind of overwhelming, right? It's a good question. I think the best place to get started is to just first identify your growing zone. Your growing zone is just going to be a number. Uh, I'm in in uh, Southern California, I'm in zone 10. And that means that there are certain plants that will be hardy or survive based upon the temperatures and climate that I have in my growing zone, which is going to be a different growing zone in New York, which is growing zone seven. And once you identify that, then you're going to be able to get a, a palette of plants to choose from. Yeah. 
And that palette will include things that are, and there's kind of three ways I think about it. There are invasive plants, meaning that are plants that are not native to those areas, but not only are they not native, but they actually harm the natural environment and will take over certain landscapes. You do not want to plant invasive plants no matter what. Then you have your more naturalized plants. These might be plants, for example, here in Southern California that have a native area that is similar in climate to what we have. So Southern California is similar to the Mediterranean. It's similar to South Africa and similar to Australia. You see a lot of plants in that region ending up in Los Angeles. And then the, the third one, which is the best, is native plants. Now, native plants are going to be plants that originate in those areas. And the reason why they're better than even the naturalized plants is because the local bees and birds rely on those specific plants. Hmm. There are certain plants out there that have a companion insect, the most famous being milkweed and the monarch butterfly. Now, not just any milkweed, not the tropical milkweed, but you want the native milkweed variety because that monarch is going to benefit from that specific plant. And that relationship is so, so important. Oh, now, the, 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 tr- the trouble you get in is, be- is twofold. Number one, sometimes native plants might not be the aesthetic that you're going for. If you drive around California, you, it looks tropical because you've got all these big palm trees and bird of paradise <laughs> yes. and all these things, right? Not necessarily the plants that belong there. Yeah, They become kind of more naturalized, but they are not necessarily the ones that belong there. Uh, and the second problem that you, you run into is that because of our changing climate, some of these native plants are actually struggling to remain native in those areas, right? They're, they're almost getting pushed out because the climate is changing so much that they cannot thrive there like they used to hundreds of years ago, which is a a very severe problem. So I think the key is just having a mix of those naturalized or native plants. I don't tell my clients like, hey, you have to have 100% native, but I push it. And I say, hey, let's shoot for 80% here. Let's shoot for 50-50 here. Whatever it is to kind of get your foot in the door and just sprinkle in plants that you know not only will look great, but also be benefiting the local ecosystem around you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I, I couldn't think of a better way to, you know, be respectful of the environment around you, but also like express yourself a little bit with individuality, right? Like, I mean, there's really no reason to do what's, you know, what's been done for years and years in your area, because like you just mentioned with like the palm trees in LA, right? Like, when you start thinking about it, it's like, wait a second, why do we have these here? <laughs> you know? Like, it, it, and it's just because uh, who knows? People probably in the twenty, who knows when they actually planted them? Well, the, the Spanish, the Spanish brought over so many plants when they came to the Americas, and the, the most famous being mustard, oh. which has this yellow flower, which is so so invasive, it is terrible. But they planted it like crazy, and it's got a foothold here in California and has driven other plant species to the brink. Wow. So it, some of these things have, have occurred many, many hundreds of years before we were even aware. Well, I mean, I had no idea. I mean, is it, is it the same mustard, like, that we get mustard seed from? Uh, no, a little, little different. Little okay. Different. Yeah, I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> we all have to eat a lot more mustard, folks. No, I guess it's a little bit different, but... Um, well, Nick, this was so amazing. Um, you know, we like we typically try and keep our episodes um, about this length of time. I know you and I could go on and talk about this so much, but curious to know, like in closing, 
Um, you know, since we last talked, I mean, there's been just so many different things going on in your universe. And I'm curious to know, like, you know, you know, as we think about going into the rest of this year and, um, you know, sustainability is becoming more and more important, um, you know, as a topic for people, I'm curious to know, like, from where you're sitting, whether it's, you know, on your show or, you know, on, on social media, like, what is a conversation going on right now that you're really interested in, um, you know, to, to participate in about sustainability? I'm curious. Mm. There, there's so many things to to think about and it definitely does depend on your region yes but one thing that is especially prevalent here in california is how we can manage the water that we're getting from the colorado river with the other states that are competing for that same water and it's not just the water that we use for our lawns but it's being used for agriculture both plant and uh, animal agriculture and the the effect that that's going to have on farmers and their ability to to make a living and be able to support themselves and their families is is really fascinating to me. I mean, everything comes back to growing for me yeah. and and being able to to learn and understand these issues. The Daily had a great podcast episode about this water battle out here west in the West, and I think it's going to be very top of mind in many people's uh, discussions about sustainability because it's happening here out West now, but it certainly could happen other places in the country if our climate continues to change the way it is. So yeah. definitely uh, take a look at that podcast if you're interested. And just remember that, you know, not only is it affecting the climate, but it's affecting the people that rely so heavily on the climate to support themselves and their families. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything is, like we say all the time, everything can be so connected when you think about our natural environment. And, you know, a win in one space is usually a win in, in others, right? Because there are so many things that are connected. So the more that we can think about these issues and, you know, tackle them one at a time, the, you know, the more impact that we're going to have. So I, I think that's just an interesting I'm glad I asked you. That's an interesting thing for us to think about. Well, Nick, we had such a good time talking again. Um, listeners, like we mentioned, we'll, we will include links to all of the things we talked about in the show notes. And I'm going to check out that podcast. That sounds really good. So we'll, we'll, we'll put a link of that, uh, to that in the show notes. Um, but just thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Laura. I appreciate it. joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social, where I know you can find us at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together. So have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.